today's episode, you will be hearing from Brian Morin, co-founder and CEO of Soteria Battery Innovation Group. Every day when you use your cell phone, your laptop, or even your EV car, you are using a device that has a lithium-ion battery in it. And those batteries, while relatively safe, have a history and a known level of being able to catch fire. You may even remember hearing some stories a few years ago about Samsung cell phones catching fire on planes and really causing massive disruptions. So today, we're talking to a company that is trying to solve for this danger and make all of our everyday lives a little bit safer. A few things in this episode that stuck out to me from my conversation with Brian are that over 250 major fires occurred in New York City alone last year due to EV bikes catching fire in apartment buildings, and lithium-ion bat batteries are really hazardous to us. The second is that with Soteria's battery safety technology, they can dramatically reduce the danger of lithium-ion batteries putting us in harm's way. And lastly, Brian and his team have taken a really unique approach to pierce through the really big bureaucratic layers of massive organizations like DuPont and Mercedes to get them to buy into a small player trying to make all of our lives a little bit safer. And in doing so, they're gaining real traction. I think you'll find that really, really interesting. Someday, Soteria battery technology might be found in the billions of batteries across the world. And to me, that's a really exciting proposition that gets me excited about wanting to invest in a company like this. So with that, I hope you enjoy the episode. Brian, thank you very much for being here today. Absolutely. Happy to be here and, and love the opportunity to tell a story. So thank you. Got it. Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to found this company. Yeah, sure. So it's a, a little bit of a long story, but my background, I'm a physicist by training. Uh, so materials physics. And then I spent 10 years at big companies, DuPont and Millikan. Became an entrepreneur in 2004 and moved into the battery industry in 2010. Uh, and when I moved into the battery industry, we were—I had a co-founder, and we were working on uh, making a, a, a product that goes inside the battery that was going to be more thermally stable. So it was going to make the battery safer. Uh, but as I was doing that, we developed the product, scaled it, and took it to market. And we learned that big battery companies didn't want to buy a crucial product from a small startup they'd never heard of. And so we thought about ways to redo the business plan or the business model so that other companies, bigger companies, could have access to bring it to market. And so we redid the business model, kind of copying Bluetooth with a little bit of a Qualcomm or an Arm Holdings strategy to it, and relaunched it as Soteria in 2018. And it's been kind of off to the races since that, right? So we had the wrong business model. We're frustrated for a few years. And then when we flipped the business model, it turned into something really nice. For folks like me who don't know a ton about batteries, can you talk about A, what this danger is, and B, how you're helping to solve that and make it safer? Yeah, sure. So... First, for if you think about devices that we have, right, so your cell phones, your laptops, if they're built well, one in five million will spontaneously ignite. So there's a ton of energy in a small package. That's the battery. We put a lot of energy in there. And if it's not perfect or if it's damaged, uh, it can ignite all by itself. The energy will just come out. And that's, it's, they call it a fire, but it's really an explosion. Flames and sparks shooting out of it. Uh, but one in five million. So don't be afraid of your cell phone. Don't be afraid of your laptop. 
if they're built poorly, then you have the issue that came up with the Samsung Galaxy Note 7, where it was about one in a hundred thousand. Where, but if you're selling billions of them, that's actually a lot of fires. Uh, that one of the challenges we have now is that uh, micro mobility. We're starting to put batteries into so many more devices, and they're being built all kinds of different ways. And so one particular problem, micro-mobility, there's, I'll give you an example. In New York City, there's about 250,000 e-bikes. People commuting in and out of the city, delivering Starbucks and pizzas up and down the, the streets of Manhattan. There's about 250 e-bike fires each year. So now we're down to one in a thousand. And the problem with an e-bike fire is that it's about 50 times bigger than a cell phone fire. And so it will ignite a building. You're now talking about a fire that's that's rapid flame shooting and kind of a six foot diameter for kind of 10 minutes, right? So it's gonna ignite the building. So every e-bike fire is a building fire and there's been more than a dozen deaths both last year and this year. Uh, and that's happening in every city around the globe. So that's the problem. Also EVs, basically every electric vehicle manufacturer has had a recall due to spontaneous battery fires, I will say that the EV manufacturers are building a lot of, of safety mechanisms into the, the vehicles, into the packs. Uh, but even with that, you got a very, you got an awful lot of energy in those EVs. So that's the problem, right? Now you asked, what's our solution? So we do two things. That first product I talked about that was more stable, we replace the least thermally stable product in the battery that causes a lot of these problems with something that's a lot more stable. Think of it as just a better dam that sits between the anode and cathode and holds the energy where it's supposed to be. The other thing we do is we replace another component. It's called a current collector. It's either aluminum or copper foils. We replace those foils with a metalized film. For that, think about a party balloon, right? You got a piece of plastic with metal on it. Uh, we put enough metal on it to run the battery, but we leave it thin enough so that if you get a short circuit and you get a rush of current somewhere, it's been damaged or there's, there's a defect, it burns out like a fuse. So we've essentially stuck a fuse or a fuse box into the battery everywhere something could go wrong, and it stops the ignition when the ignition starts to happen. Uh, when we do this, it takes weight out of the battery. It helps uh, the electrical performance of the battery. It can help the cycle life of the battery. Uh, and it dramatically improves the safety, drops the number of fires by at least an order of magnitude, so at least a factor of 10, so that 250 fires in New York City last year or this year would be down under 20 for sure. When I think about this technology that, that you're developing, which is kind of almost adding these fuses to batteries, is this, can it be added to any battery? Oh. And, and what does it look like so, so we could kind of visualize and understand what this is? So in a battery, there's five basic layers. There's the current collectors, the aluminum and copper foils. Coated on them are the anode and cathode, and then sitting between them is this separator, the dam that I talked about. So our technology, we just replace three of those layers. We replace the aluminum and copper foils with the metalized film, and we replace the separator with our material. So in that sense, it's applicable to every battery that's got that structure, which I'll just say is every battery. Uh, so, so yeah, that's it. it it's a drop-in to existing manufacturing. It has to be built in when the battery's built, but, but it can be made into any battery that's made in the future. Now, why is it that manufacturers of these lithium-ion batteries haven't had this technology and haven't implemented it? I mean, when it's such a safety measure issue, 
How could they not have created something like this? Even though lithium-ion batteries have been around for most of this century, it's still a very young industry. And up until a few years ago, all the devices were small, right? So the biggest things you had were power tools or laptops. And so safety wasn't as big an issue as it is now. Now the devices are a lot bigger, the fires are a lot bigger. Uh, and so people are addressing the question. So the, the real answer is nobody thought of it before us, right? People, there are safety mechanisms built into the battery and we don't think ours replaces those safety me mechanisms. Just like a, an airbag didn't replace the seatbelt, right? Didn't replace anti-lock brakes. We think they layer on top of each other. But yeah, it's just because nobody thought of what we're doing before we have. And so now we've got our consortium, we've got about 30 battery builders that are building our technology into their cells. The time scale to get it in, the fastest it could go is 24 months. And if, they're, if they have to build a factory or build out their capability, it can take you know a few years beyond that. Uh, and so that's where we are. We're pushing it through the supply chain, through the, the product development cycle. First products are hitting the market now and especially kind of first quarter of next year. What you have here is a, a very unique technology, um, but it, it truly is a technology and that technology is being applied now in, in a commercial setting. Talk to me about how you protect the intellectual property and make sure, you know, you're not giving this over to some of these consortium members to use and then they just go ahead and make it themselves and, and kind of circumnavigate working with you in the process. So the heart of the company is our vision, which is we want inherently safe cells everywhere. So we want, we actually want everybody in the world to build our technology into every battery that's made. We also want to collect a royalty for that, right? So we have a robust patent portfolio. Uh, the separator, we have about 80 patents. The current collector, we have about 30. Uh, and we're filing more all the time. And, and, but, but we plan, our, you know, we asked ourselves when we started the company, we said, how many people are you willing to hurt to make more money? And the answer was not even one. And so not helping them is the same as hurting them in our eyes. So we've built a business model where everybody can have access to the technology at a very low royalty rate. So we start at 2%. We're going to drop to 1% as volume increases. And the idea is that this is worth a lot more than 1% of the cost of the battery. And so it'd be pennies on a cell phone and, and only up to tens of dollars, you know, 75 or $100 on an electric vehicle. Uh, but that being said, if we're able to do that and get everybody to use it, the size of the industry in 2030 is going to be $400 billion. If we get our 1%, that's $4 billion. That's enough, <laughs> right, uh, to make our startup and our investors happy. That's enough. But 1% is not too much from the consumer standpoint. So we found a place that we think, if we can do it, makes everybody very happy. Now, one of the things that you talk about that I think kind of makes your business model unique um, is this consortium. Let's dive in and understand a little bit more about what this consortium is. So there's a, there's a few aspects, but what we did at the beginning is we tried to find companies that you know had two things. One, they believe in safety, and two, they had some business interest in our 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 technology being successful. Uh, we pulled them together in a consortium. And the idea is, I'll, do, I'll say two things, but the, the first is to think of it like the Microsoft IBM model of taking the PC to market. 
Well, now we're going to ask our consortium members to develop, you know, by analogy, the printers and chips and disk drives and software that are going to make the whole ecosystem work. They're doing it so that they can then sell those products. And for us, you know, the, the real products are going to be equipment and materials and cells and devices. Uh, and then we collect a royalty uh, similar to Microsoft selling an operating system. The, the other aspect of the consortium is to promote safety in general. So safety is a difficult topic to talk about. There's either a lot of liability involved or there's people getting hurt. Uh, so you generally get kind of what I call kind of lawyer speak spun into the discussion of safety. And we wanted to make a, a way to talk about safety and also a way to be able to tell if the batteries are safe. So one of the things we're going to be doing over the next few months is adopting a rating system that, was, that came out of our Department of Energy National Labs uh, to be able to give a score or rating from kind of zero to 100 rather than just a pass-fail on a standard. Every battery that's caught fire has, has passed the standards that we have. But if there was a one-star, two-star, three-star, four-star, five-star rating, people would be able to make a choice. Oh, I want the bike with the four-star. The two-star is $100 cheaper, but I want to be sure that I can put it in my garage and feel safe with it. We're going to have the group validate the standard so that it's not just us promoting our products, it's the group promoting a safety standard for the industry or a safety rating system for the industry. One of the things you mentioned earlier was that kind of the first go around with, with this type of technology, um, what you found is that big companies didn't really want to be working with this small company doing this. And you said that you've kind of taken a new approach. Is a consortium the whole component of the new approach or is there more to it as well? So the consortium is part of it, uh, and for sure working with the big companies. So there's a big difference. Let's just, one of our consortium members, Mercedes, they, don't, they would feel much more comfortable if their component were being supplied by DuPont than if it were being supplied by us, right? There's just a, there's just a, there's nothing we can do to replace what DuPont has in terms of the history and manufacturing capabilities and quality and everything else. That's why we pushed it out to, to the, uh, the consortium members. But the other aspect is we use something called FRAND licensing. It's fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. It's an industry term. What it means is if you have the capabilities and you come to us to buy a license, you get one at the same terms as everybody else, independent of whether you join the consortium. So we will sell a license to anybody. The consortium is how we communicate. It's how we network. And, and we do a lot of technical support through the consortium. But if somebody comes to us and says, we want your safe batteries, we're going to give it to them and set the same terms everybody else gets. The heart of the company is to make the industry safe. So you have this licensing fee model. You're building up this consortium of really large companies that I think is also helping to legitimize what it is you're doing. Um, now let's talk about some of the traction that you're seeing with this. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's several areas. The first products to come out are going to be uh, cell phones that are built for explosion resistance and ruggedized environments or ruggedized for difficult environments. So think pharmaceutical manufacturing, chemical manufacturing, uh, mining underground, anywhere where a fire would be just devastating. Uh, so those cell phones will be coming out next year and tablets. Uh, the next kind of wave will be other ruggedized consumer electronics and these are things like Motorola for first responders, uh, Zebra for a lot of warehouse and, and logistics activities. So that's the, the small device. These are single cell devices or maybe two cells in the device. The next kind of batch is uh, 
is multi-cell devices, but using cylindrical cells. So there's these, so they look, they're kind of a, uh, in, in between a, a AA and a C battery, uh, but they're called 18650s. It's the old laptop batteries. And they're used in a myriad of applications from medical to military to drones to, to uh, e-bikes and micromobility, uh, material handling, robotics. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of adoption there. The nice thing there is that we can have a single battery that goes into hundreds of applications. Uh, and then the last place where we're getting a lot of traction is in luxury automotive. So the luxury brands care most deeply about safety. Uh, we have uh, projects with our consortium members, but uh, uh, Jaguar Land Rover, Mercedes, uh, and, and several others. Uh, and so we think in automotive, it's going to start with the luxury and then trickle down. And that's what happened with airbags. It's what happened with anti-lock brakes. So we think it's going to happen that way with us also, but eventually be mandated. So you did a million and a half in revenue last year. You've been yep. growing revenues. Um, I imagine at some point you kind of hit an inflection point where you have the projects that are online and then you start adding those new projects online and it continue kind of in perpetuity. Um, and the numbers could get large relatively fast. What have been some of the pushbacks or resistance to adopting this type of technology? So the, uh, the, the biggest one is people just waiting to, for somebody else to do it because they don't want to do the hard work of doing it first. Uh, and so we're just getting past that with the first cells ready to go commercial. Uh, so that's kind of the biggest one is a lot of the bigger players are just waiting for us to see, waiting to see it in the market with smaller players. And that's, I think, the nature of the beast. The other thing with them, to be fair, they have got their hands full keeping the automotive industry supplied for the EVs. So they're just not putting development into much other than let's get product built uh, so that EVs can get sold. Uh, you know, the industry has been ramping up very quickly. So there's been just a distraction. It's not really a reason not to use us. It's just they're just distracted by other things. Those are the big ones. For up until last year, there were material quality questions. So we, we had the material scaled, but the quality wasn't quite perfect. Now the quality is perfect. The scale is, to, is there to support gigawatt hours of batteries for the material. So now we're, sho we're shuffling that into the battery industry. And then once the cells are available, we'll be able to shuffle those to the end users. So, so one of the challenges is we go through three development cycles a material development cycle, a cell development cycle, and then a device development cycle. We're finished with the first one, deep in the middle of the second one, and just starting on the third one. When you talk about kind of the, the manufacturing component, I know we talk a lot about the fact that you're licensing this technology, but you actually manufacture, again, if you call it the cell or whatnot, prior to it going off to the person who's going to use it? So two answers to the question. Our primary business model is to license. We will uh, contract manufacture and distribute where it uh, relieves a frustration in the supply chain. So when we find, and we've got some materials now that are very, very good, and we're you know, allowing those companies to sell direct, but we're also going to buy inventory, hold inventory, and ship so that we can just relieve frustrations in the business model. We're starting that in, or in the supply chain. We're starting that in North America. We're going to do that in Europe also. And then the same thing with batteries and battery packs for these small devices. So we're looking for, for some standardized cells and working with manufacturers to have standardized cells that we can hold an inventory and sell while they're also selling them direct. 
And then for specific applications, we're actually making the battery packs. I say making, we're contract manufacturing the battery packs and delivering those direct also. The trick here is if we do it first, other people get very comfortable copying us. We want them to copy us. We're not gonna to try to do it first to set up a competitive advantage. We're gonna do it first so that other people will copy us and then everybody starts using it. Yeah, you're raising about 1.2 million in this round of funding. Yep. Um, where does the funding go? What are the focus areas? Yeah, so it all goes to to supporting the team and what the team's working on is is moving through that development cycle. So we're deep in the cell development cycle, finishing that and starting to work on the uh, application developments. We do have a couple of other new products being developed that are all that some of the money is going to go to support also, uh, but but that's the bulk of it. What are your feelings on product market fit? Do you think you're there? Is it still, you know, too early in the game and you have to see if they really adopt it? No. Product market fit, uh, I'm going to say broadly, yes. And then we have to go and we have to go kind of prove that in each segment of the market. Broadly, yeah, the product market fit, they, they need safety. There's hardly, there's, you know, hardly any drawbacks. And for most applications, there's no, no drawbacks at all. Uh, so, no, we've, I think we found product market fit. When you tell people that you're going to multiple segments, you know, I, I know myself, um, we could always challenge that, oh, you're not focused. Um, so A, what are the challenges in going after multiple, multiple segments? And B, why do you think that's okay? The challenges are real uh, in terms of doing, doing several things at once. And I, I watch that closely, but I will say that is, uh, for me as an entrepreneur who's a, sometimes a popcorn machine of ideas, it's hard not to try to eat every idea, right? To try to act on every idea. Uh, but then the, the gut check isn't an internal stage gate. It's an external stage gate. So we work on the ideas that our consortium members are willing to grab and run with. And then we support them. So we don't think of ourselves as the heroes or the soldiers in the, in the, the market or the battle. We think of ourselves as the guides and the scouts. We want to support the other companies, and if they're willing to put resources behind it, then we're going to support them. Uh, and so that's how we do it. And we have in the consortium now about 100 projects. So you want to talk about being scattered. We're a little scattered, but we've got 100 projects within the consortium where consortium members are putting their dollars into taking products to market with our technology. And so, yeah, we support a lot of different things. Now, to be fair, when I say 100 projects, 30 of those at least are new cells. It's always really the same project 30 times for us, but then we support them in doing it. So it's not that we're doing 100 different things. Many of them were doing the same thing many times. Uh, but yeah, it can be a lot. But the gut check is, is there a consortium member that's going to put their dollars into taking this to market? And if they are, then if we also see a, see a fit, then we're going we're gonna to support them. You've been around the block many times and have been in this industry for a long time. Uh, really kind of the forefront of different intellectual property projects. Um, and you talk about how IP can be a contentious thing and things that you've learned along the way that are helping you to best manage right now. Yeah, so uh, a couple things. For, and I'll talk about just strictly IP to begin with. We uh, don't think of a single patent. We put up a wall of patents. And so for a single invention, call it the current collector, I think today we have about 13 different kind of original patents that are then filed in a bunch of different countries, and each of them may have two or three independent claims. And so in this sense, 
while it may be easy to get around one or it may be possible to get around one, it's really going to be difficult to get around all of them. Coupled with that is a low royalty rate that it's going to be difficult to get around them. And the, the energy barrier that you get, the reward that you get if you do find a way around them is 1% of the cost of the battery or 2% to begin, then it drops to one. Uh, and so that kind of fits the philosophy of the company is, and then the third piece I'll say is everybody gets access. There's no exclusivity. Sometimes some short, very market-based lead times if somebody's going to put a lot of effort to go somewhere. Uh, but because of that kind of universal access and, and low royalty rates, I, you know, our, our feeling is that that's something that, that people are going to adopt without too much, uh, uh, you know, too, too much of an energy barrier, too much of a fight. The people who tr who try to do business models where they have very high royalty rates and they do exclusivity, uh, I mean, they some of them struggle, right? Uh, and and we felt very strongly that safety was something that you shouldn't hold exclusive; that you should let everybody have access. I get a little angry when I see somebody who puts up a safety technology and then they say, "But you know, only our special customers are going to get access." It'd be like, and, and let me just give an example. Mercedes gave away the anti-lock brake. They had they wrote the patent on it, and they did not. They let the industry have it, and good for them. You know the, the analogy I do is there's a whole bunch of F-150s that didn't drive, didn't slam into Mercedes because they did that, <laughs> right? Uh, but they they had the same philosophy, which is that safety is different from other competitive potential competitive advantages. You have a deep portfolio of IP. You have commercial traction. You have this consortium and this group. That's really kind of supporting and buying into this technology. You have a clear business model of where you want to head. What does success look like over the next two to three years? The success over the next couple of years is really, I'll say it's, it, I'm going to put say two things. One is uh, just the commercial traction. Uh, and at the same time, that commercial traction with a recognition in the industry that safety is important. Uh, the other thing for us is we're very, uh, happy our, our team is really special uh, it's a group of humble individuals who really care about helping the industry and so for me commercial su or success is also growing that team and building the relationships that they have with the industry to kind of teach the rest of the industry how to how to think about safety and how to adopt safety we promote safety whether it's our technology or not uh, but for, but certainly success is going to involve you know, growing that team and growing the team's influence in the industry. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights uh, and for the business that you're building. I do think it's really important uh, to, to safety as we all use these devices every day of our lives. Um, so very exciting to see you guys be successful and uh, appreciate your insights again. Great. Thank you, Chris. It was great to talk and thanks for the opportunity to tell the story. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to use the same tools I do to find amazing founders like the ones I have on the show to power your investment decisions, you can head on over to kingscrowd.com backslash startups to try out our Edge Toolkit for 30 days free. And of course, like and subscribe us on your favorite podcast platform.